Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. It's good, said Niles Paul and Josh Doxson, both to the right. Two receivers left, Vernon Davis and Ryan Grant. Now Ryan Grant comes in motion, lines up to the right side, Cousins. Going to float it. Man, is wide open. Dotson at the 25-20. 10-5. Touchdown. Touchdown, Redskins. Josh Dotson. Wide open up the right sideline. His sixth touchdown of the year. All right. Welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Alex Boone will be joining the fray at... Three o'clock today, and we have lots to discuss. Do we have as, hot routes uh, for Alex Boone? We actually don't have hot routes today because we have a lot to get to. It's true. Do you, do you want me to just like come up with some? I want to hear how Boone handles hot routes. He had his first attempt at hot routes the other day, and I would say he performed pretty well. Wouldn't you say, Jonathan? I thought he was a. Uh, I thought he was pretty good at hot routes. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, this, he was is, this is my it first time getting to be on air with him. So, so you want some hot routes? Kind of want some hot routes. I'll see what I can do in the next yeah, hour. Yeah, please, please get to work. We've got a lot going on here. I want to start with the center of ES. ESPN.com, your employer, has um, gone through all the teams and simulated the season with a uh, computer do and came out with results for every single team. And I don't think Vikings fans would be very much thrilled with the results of what came up for the Minnesota Vikings, which is that uh, they were 7-9 and nine mm-hmm. in their 1,000 simulations. So you, as a picker of the Vikings at 11 and 5, what is your reaction to the computer saying, beep, beep, doop, doop, nope? (laughs) Is that how it did it? Yeah, that's what it said. Sounds like it, too. Um, (laughs) I think we've said this the whole time, like where 9 and 7 feels like the basement for this team and that 11 and 5 is the ceiling. It's probably not going to even go as perfectly as that. I think that you still look at this team with a lot of mystery. Is the offensive line fixed? Is Kirk Cousins going to be able to not look like he did at points throughout last season? Confused, you know, pressure in a, in a sense where he can't process, things like that. Like, did it all just magically get better this offseason? Like, this preseason, is everything completely 180 from where it was last year at this time? I think that that's something that you have to factor in, where... Does seven and nine feel realistic? No, it shouldn't. Not really. Not, no. sh- not with this schedule. This is not like a first or a third place schedule. Like, it's a good schedule. It's a really good schedule. I mean, there's definitely hard stretches on it, but um, I think when you take a look at the rest of the division and where things fall there, and just wondering, okay, what's the f- like? What about the formula? Like they don't really explain in the article like why the Vikings are seven and nine. I mean, it's a simulation, but because the computer said. Well, do we trust technology for everything? <laughs> Aren't you watching Black yes. Mirror? That's what I'm watching. No, it's telling, what's that? It's a show on Netflix. It's teaching me about the evils of technology. And it's going to ruin our world and kill us all. Oh. So um, I just took that a really oh. dark direction. Yeah. At least we have um, football. At least we have football. Until we die. Um, but no, I mean, like, I just, I, I kind of wonder about this whole thing where I don't, you know... If there's a formula involved that's kind of like a bell curve, sure, because not every team's going to be eight and eight of the of the thirty two NFL teams. It's just not possible. But I don't like where some of the games that they picked. Some of them I just don't. I just don't believe that. So um, you know that they had twenty four ten over the Seahawks, and then like the Vikings are going into week thirteen. Um, 
or I think that they have. Where are they? They, they probably 15? don't like the Vikings in that really tough stretch. Yeah, and I mean that's but they but they then like on in the same vein they have them winning. Uh, in Seattle in early part of December. That's the Week 13 game that I'm looking at. And then beyond that, um, some of them just don't make a whole ton of sense. That They're having them lose 26-10 to the Chargers. I don't think that 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 one doesn't... I don't know, it just doesn't feel right. Chargers strike me as a team that could fall off. Potentially. If if Rivers isn't good. And plus, they don't play that well at home because they don't really have a home. Uh, let Let me throw something at you, though, with this. So last year became a huge thing to talk about Kirk Cousins in primetime games. And I forget what the exact record is, but it's super bad. Yeah, and I mean, it's oh, I know off the top of my head, it's 0-7 on Monday Night Football. Yeah, 0-7 on Monday Night Football, and I think just Thursday night, Sunday night, or Monday night, he's something like 5-26. and And one of those wins they did get last year against the Packers. But this year, someone out at the fair this week mentioned to me that they have five primetime games this year and i know you've talked about that game in chicago being mostly a primetime game or one that you could yeah. kind of consider at 325 game so let's even count that one chicago then you have washington on october 24th that's mm-hmm. a thursday nighter you have the nbc game against dallas that's a big one on november 10th then two monday night football games mixed in uh seattle and green bay and then uh, the game you mentioned against the, the chargers. chargers on december 15th so that is a total of then six primetime games. Six, yeah. if, if we if count, you include the Chicago game. If we count the America's game that you're talking about. What is Kirk Cousins' record going to be in primetime games this year? Well, the reason it was so poor last year is because they couldn't beat good teams. They beat, what, one team with a above 500 record when that they played that team, actually. Um, you take a look at the win that they had over Philadelphia, that was probably their best win last season when it came down to it. I mean, Philly wasn't the team that it was um, in the playoffs week five last year, but they're still pretty darn good. And that was a big monumental road win for the Vikings coming off that Thursday night loss in Los Angeles. So I don't know if there's a... how are What do those teams look like when they're playing them? Like week four, has Chicago started to show signs of regression by Mm -hmm. that point. Like, will we say, okay, Mitchell Trubisky is this. And the defense, without Vic Fangio and now with Chuck Pagano calling it, looks like that. I don't think you can really go into this and gauge what Kirk's actual record is going to be ahead of this because... Like the quality of opponent, like in the primetime games, remember his big thing of, oh, they flexed the Bears game because, you know, it was us. And then, like, us, yeah. then after that, it was like, well, the Bears were a darn good team. That's why <laughs> they got the primetime game uh, in November last season. So I think that that plays into it. But as we've tried for years now, and I remember last year just diving into, is there anything that we can see in these primetime games that has a common theme as to why Kirk has struggled? Has his team been behind in the fourth quarter and he's had to lead a comeback charge that just fell flat? A lot of times, yes. Did his team get down? Did they get down two scores early on? A lot of times, yes. So I think it's, it's just not, it's not the stage itself. I think that's just a completely silly argument. It's, you're playing teams when they're really hot and teams that have a lot at stake, especially when you get down the stretch when games are actually getting flexed. Those are teams that are looking for playoff spots. So, I mean, they have, um, They'll be beyond those actual five games that they have in prime time, and especially the ones that happen in November and beyond. They could potentially be playing for another prime time game there, just because of the way that they're able to flex the schedule. So I'm looking right now. I did a bunch of research last year on Kirk Cousins in prime time games and just how often he graded well by mm-hmm. Pro Football Focus and by ESPN's QBR rating. And it was about half the time that he got really good ratings, and in a lot of those games. They did come up short. Washington did. They didn't have a very good um, defense. And sometimes with the Vikings, even that game against Los Angeles, where Cousins played really well, but the defense let them down. Mm -hmm. So it's not always on Kirk Cousins, but it's kind of a classic thing for a quarterback in the middle of the league, 14th to 16th best quarterback, to go up against better quarterbacks in prime time. And I think this year he won't be all the time. Um, so let's let's do the matchup here. Primetime games, counting the Chicago game as primetime. He's better than Mitch Trubisky, right? I mean, he lost to him twice last year, but more but lost to defense. the defense. Yeah, he's better than Mitchell Trubisky. Better, better than Mitch Trubisky. 
He's clearly better than Case Keenum. I think there may be some well, people Keenum, who still hang out. I don't think Case is going to be the starter at that point. Dwayne is he better Haskins, than Dwayne Haskins? Colt sure. McCoy. Yeah, whoever else Josh it is. Josh Johnson, Mark Sanchez, whoever's Mark playing Sanchez quarterback. Mark Sanchez is retired. Don't do that to He me. might come back. Um, anyway, so, so the first two primetime games, he's better than the opposing quarterback. Mm-hmm. This one is debatable with Dak Prescott. I think Dak Prescott is better than mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins, but that one they might be right on the same plane. So you're not playing sure. you're not playing Tom Brady here. So that's three that he's not playing a great quarterback. Seattle, Russell Wilson's better than him. Phillip Rivers is better than him. Aaron Rodgers is better than him. If you were just picking it by this year's six primetime games, about half of them, the opposing quarterback is significantly better than Cousins. So what would be a success in the primetime games for Kirk Cousins this year in terms of like win loss? You say two and three? Is that just a fair way of looking at it based if, on... If we head, count if, your Chicago one to make it six? Well, fine. Three and three. Three and three? That's fine. I agree with that. Um, I was looking back at the story I wrote ahead of Monday Night Football, the game in Seattle last year. Um, and he, so at that point, he was one and three. He had a one and three record in primetime games that season, which, you know, they got the win over Green Bay, who was nosediving at that point. So that one doesn't really count. Um, but that's just the way the schedule was. Like we, that one was not flex. We knew that one was going to happen. Think about the other ones though. Rams. I don't think Jared Goff is a better quarterback. I think the scheme was better and that's how they, that's why they ended up losing that game early on. And the defense let that one go. Saints game. Drew Brees is a better quarterback. Bears game defense. Like, I mean, there's so many Mm -hmm. mitigating factors here. You can't just say, Oh, Kirk is terrible in prime time because of X, Y, Z. I think it's it's very much the whole thing of not one person loses you a football game, but the way he plays in big moments and choking in big moments that could that is a factor in losses. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about. If you think that that's a real thing with Kirk Cousins, like if we have a big enough sample size to say, you know what, this guy when it comes to big moments and things like that, just really isn't the same quarterback or is he always the same quarterback but the big moments tend to highlight the shortcomings of Kirk Cousins or could it be some combination of those things I think it's the latter they know what they have in him and that's why they're trying to effectively scheme around and li- just to limit some of those weaknesses and when you are the only game on at a certain time frame or you're in one of the biggest games against some of the best opponents in the NFL that's going to highlight in probably a negative way, don't you think? I mean, think about the primetime games that they lost last year. I mean, the Seahawks game is Monday Night Football. There's no other game on. That's when all eyes are in on Kirk Cousins and everybody who isn't here day-to-day and knows the minutia of this team. It's the big-picture argument. It's, did they really need to pay $84 million fully fully guaranteed for this guy? Did they not know who he was in Washington? Um why did Minnesota let Case Keenum go? I mean, those are the things that you were hearing last year around a lot of these big games. Um, and when you're using teams like that as your measuring stick to determine if you've gotten better, if you've gotten worse, and then you lose, it becomes kind of the snowball effect where, man, they can't perform in primetime. Well, why is that? Well, let's look at the quarterback. What did he do? Did he have two really ugly picks in Chicago, one of which was completely inexplicable? Inexplicable? Inexplicable work. Um yeah, and then, you know, that's what he's being judged on. It's moments within those games. I don't really think it's the whole body of work, to be quite honest. I think it's the glaring moments where you think, okay, I can think in Seattle. I mean, Thielen's 20 yards downfield to his left, and he turns yeah. the ball, turns around and throws the ball to Latavius Murray. That's not John DeFilippo's play calling. That's not Adam Thielen's fault. That's Kirk freaking out in a very big moment, sensing the pressure with his offensive line and turning around and throwing the ball behind him for a two-yard loss. Like, it's those moments that define you when you're given this stage, you're not given it for that long. So it's, if you don't make the most of it, that's the narrative that comes out of it, that he's in these big time games and making boneheaded mistakes. So the big time games do remarkably shape the narrative on players. I think. Um, And a good example would be Sam Bradford. The year before the Vikings traded for Sam Bradford, he played pretty well. And over his last, I think it was something like 10 starts or something in that ballpark, he was one of the better quarterbacks in the league, but he had three notable primetime meltdowns, one of which he threw a pick where Tyron Matthew tore his ACL. I don't know if people remember this game, but 
everyone tunes in to watch these games, and there are a lot of determinations outside of just the people who watch day to day. This was Cardinals and Eagles. Eagles. When okay. he played, for, I'm talking about yeah. When he played in, for the when he played for the Eagles in, in 2015, okay. because like because when they enough. traded for him, a lot of People said, what? He was terrible last year. But at any sort of investigation at more than a surface level, you would find that he was pretty darn good. And it made sense for the Vikings to trade for him the way he had been playing for the Eagles at the end of the year. But the national perspective on it was, oh, in those primetime games, he was horrendous. And I think with Cousins, so he makes the throw behind him, throws the interceptions like he did against Chicago. And those are big choke moments for him of just what happened there. Uh, and there's the highlight of him kneeling instead of spiking. Against the Eagles but, when he's in Washington. But if you watch from a day-to-day basis all 16 games, how about against the New York Jets? He throws a fumble behind the line of scrimmage and stares at it. And, uh, you know, that wasn't a primetime game. Correct. And it was a senseless thing that he did. But no one noticed because it was the Jets and they yeah, blew him out. Because it was a, what was it, 37 to... Something or another, or something. yeah. And, and like, they ran the ball. They ran super the ball well. a lot. At the, well, not picked in the first, off Sam Darnold not in the three first times. half of the game. They ran it well in the second half. Um, I think it's it's that argument too. I mean, what did Sam Darnold do that game that it was so egregiously bad that it made Kirk Cousins look pretty darn good? Right, and so you're not going to play a rookie quarterback who isn't very good yet on a bad team in prime time. So he could do a lot of those same things and make some of the same mistakes, but they won't really stand out. And that's why I don't necessarily think that it's a huge thing that he hasn't been as good on prime time. I think he's been absolutely Kirk Cousins. From a week-to-week basis, you're not sure which player shows up. Sometimes he's terrific. Sometimes he struggles. Sometimes he does baffling things and makes mistakes. But it matters the most when you're playing in prime time against Dallas this year. And that's where people will really notice it. Um, Let's take a break. And let's uh, talk a little Josh Doxson when we return with Washington football reporter John Keim. He will join us next. We'll talk about what Josh Doxson did to get himself cut in D.C. When we return, you're listening to Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit Federated. FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Skid said Niles Paul and Josh Doxson both to the right. Two receivers left. Vernon Davis and Ryan Grant. Now Ryan Grant comes in motion, lines up to the right side. Cousins going to float it. Man, is wide open. Doxson at the 25-20. 10-5. Touchdown! Touchdown Redskins Josh Doxson. Wide open up the right sideline. His sixth touchdown of the year. That's new Minnesota Vikings wide receiver Josh Doxson, who has not officially joined the team yet. They still need to make a cut somewhere among the 53 man roster but as Adam Schefter reported yesterday he's joining the Vikings on a one-year deal so let's figure out a little bit more about the Vikings trading one first round former first round wide receiver for another and doing that we bring in ESPN NFL Nation reporter John Kime who covers the Washington Redskins John what's going on hey Courtney how are you I'm good uh let's start here why what happened what happened in Washington these last three years can you give me a synopsis about why Josh Doxson did not pan out with the Redskins yeah this might take the whole segment (laughs) (laughs) to be brief and you know I have a hard time with that sometimes but to be brief um he just didn't produce enough and there were people in the building who wanted him gone a year or two ago and you know some of it was um they just didn't feel he was as good as what some of the people on the other on the coach's side felt he was. Um, you'd see some talent in practice, but not have it carry over into games. Um, you know, he caught, I think it was 79 combined catches the last two years, but they needed more. And I think they are this year. They, Courtney, they tried to trade him at least in the, within the last year. And there were no takers. So there's like, there's that part, and then there's also the fact that they drafted a couple of receivers in the first round this year. They have some guys who can who are more versatile, can play more spots, and also help on special teams. And the feeling is, you know, with Josh, if he's not going to be starting, 
He's not a guy who's going to help on special teams, so it allowed them to make this move. But in the past, there were more guys willing to fight to keep him, and that wasn't really the case this year. John, John you could have been describing right there Laquan Treadwell. And yeah, and I actually more. closed my eyes and thought <laughs> you were talking about Laquan. Just didn't produce enough. <laughs> Probably some people in the building wanted to hang on a little bit longer. Um, well, now here would be my question, though, because when he's coming to Minnesota, Josh Doxson will not be asked to be anything <laughs> at most the number 3 receiver. Is there something that he does well? well that might work in a role yeah absolutely and i think you know again you know how it is too expectations of a place and when you're a first round pick at a place there are always higher expectations and there are definitely people here who would tell me even like a couple months ago i was talking to someone josh Dotson was until he left washington partly because it's and then to the outside guys so when I say that, because it's not like he was terrible. He just didn't produce to a certain level. So you put him in a situation where he's a number three guy, then, yeah, I think that he can help. He's a, he's a bigger guy. He can, well, he's about 6'1", six, 6'2", six, but he can go up and get the ball. He's good on 50-50 passes. He was good in the red zone a couple years ago. Um, he, was, he made some tougher catches last year, um, as Kirk Cousins knows. He made a couple um, big plays two years ago with Kirk. Um, you know, so there were also, the other problem is here too, there were a couple plays where he, that he could make. He had this great diving catch against Seattle a couple years ago, led to a game-winning field going ups on the road. But that same year, they're playing the Chiefs in a Monday night game. Kirk makes a terrific read, gets the ball to him in the back of the end zone um, late in the game, and he goes up for it. It was a tough catch, but it's one that if you're that guy, you got to make, and he came down and, and he lost it, and they end up losing the game. But that's a play that I think a lot of people kind of stood out with them. But he does have skills. He's not a burner, but he can help you down the field in a fifty-fifty ball situation. So going back to that 2017 season where he had 20, 35 catches, 502 receiving yards, six touchdowns, um, I'm just looking through the depth chart right now. It's an offense that had Terrell Pryor, Jamison Crowder, Josh Doxson, uh, Jordan Reed, Chris Thompson. I mean, he had a lot of pieces, and that was one of Kirk's best seasons uh, when you think about it just in terms of what he did coming mm-hmm. off the 2016 year in 17. Is it fair to say that you think that this move was made just in the sense of what Kirk can get out of Josh Doxson? Like, I know it wasn't, they're not huge numbers. It's not anything that you're like super excited about, but they seem to like to reunite him with his former receivers. They did it last year with Aldrick Robinson. Now they're doing it with Doxson. I mean, you would have to think that because Kirk certainly has a familiarity with him. Now, that didn't always play out great in games here either. There was a game late in that year where I thought Kirk had one of his worst games against um, the Chargers. And in that game, Doxon was open a decent amount and, was never thrown, and wasn't throwing the ball enough. And so it wasn't like it was always on Josh Doxon, um, to be clear. But, yes, I think that from, he certainly has a familiarity with him, and he would know what he, what he can do. I think there were times um, during that season where the coaches would want him to give Doxon more chances. But then, as other people would say that same year, that, Doxson has to earn that trust as well. And so when you have a chance to make certain plays, you've got to make them. I mean, there were times where I remember that year where there were a couple times there was one play in the red zone where Josh is open on a slant. And it looks like, basically, we are watching the game, it looks like Kirk is looking right at him and then goes somewhere else. I was like, that would have been an easy touchdown. So there were times where I think you, know, you wondered about that trust level, but then other times Kirk would throw a ball where it's like it's only thrown because of the trust. So, you know, I think there will be something there. Um, to what degree, I don't know. But, again, as a third option, as a receiving third option, as a, a receiver, that's, that's not bad. Uh, let me uh, change gears a little bit um, because there's only so many Josh Doxson questions that you can answer and ask you about Case Keenum. <laughs> Case Keenum winning the job there. These two teams, uh, Minnesota-Washington, are going to match up in prime time. Do you think that Case Keenum is still the quarterback by that time, John? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, uh, probably not. And I say that because if Colt McCoy had been, Colt McCoy broke his leg last December. He had three surgeries on it in the offseason, and he was still having issues this summer, mostly from the fact that it's just not strong enough yet for him to plant and drive the way he needs to. Had he been right, Colt McCoy is the starting quarterback right now. So, so I think if, if 
Keenum, you know, McCoy now is still strengthening that leg. It might be a couple more weeks before he's fully ready. So in, if, if that's the case, then if Keenum is struggling at all, if the offense isn't doing anything, then I think McCoy in a few weeks would be the guy. And I also, you know, I also think the hard part for Keenum coming into this offense, you guys saw him have success there a couple of years ago, but with this year, with this team, you have a questionable left side of the offensive line. You have Jordan Reed, who was coming, you know, he had his seventh, six or seven concussion the other day, and they think he's going to be ready for the season opener, but they're not 100% sure. And you have a receiving core that has one veteran wideout, Paul Richardson, and the rest of the group is combined for four games played. So it's not an ideal situation for Keenum or any quarterback, and that's why I think it may be hard for him to keep that job um, at that point. So it's, you know, I'd say at best it's 50-50 that he has a job at that time. Well, let me float this theory by you, because when you look at what the schedule is, it's tough. And and I don't think it's unrealistic to think that by week five, when they play the Patriots after playing at Philadelphia, Cowboys, Bears at home, then at the Giants, that Haskins or someone else not named Case Keenum could be starting at that point. But if Jay Gruden is coaching for his job this year, and let's say things are going okay with Keenum, you can get by with him at quarterback, is there any point here that you could see him possibly being used as trade leverage uh, because teams are going to need a backup quarterback at some point, even if he is playing well because they want to get Haskins in there and Jay Gruden wants to save his job. I think it would still go with Keenum in that situation because I think the way he's going to have to save his job is by playing a veteran right now because they don't, the feeling is that that Haskins would be best served sitting for a while. So, and for some people I've talked to here, that would be all year. Um, so I don't feel like if I think if they felt like he was close to being ready, then I could see something like that happening. I think if you're one in four and you get to the trade deadline or whatever, and it's like, it's clearly going a certain way, then yeah, I could see something like that happening. But if they're still in contention, I think they would want to hold on to both of the veteran quarterbacks, just because I think they feel like that would give them the best chance to win. And then if the question, though, Courtney, becomes like if they are out of it, then what do they do? And then is there pressure from above to play Haskins? And at that point, you know, with Jay, with Jay Gruden, the, the clock would just be ticking, it would seem. So, uh, John, as, as we just have these a bunch of sort of weird Minnesota-D.C. connections here, Adrian Peterson is on the football club that you cover uh, as well. And I would have never guessed, John, that he would still run for 1,000 yards last year because he's 100 years old and running backs by age 27 are supposed to be shot. Is Adrian Peterson still going to run for 1,000 yards again this year? I don't think so. Not if it... If all goes well for the Red, for um, for the Redskins, no, that would not be the case. Um, Darius Geis is going to open the season as the guy, and Jay Gruden made it clear yesterday um, that the offense, the running game, is going to go through him, and that's not a surprise given they drafted him in the second round last year. He tore his ACL in August, but before that point, he looked really good. They like what he can do as a runner and in the pass game, so they feel like he could be a three-down guy, whereas Adrian is more of a two-down guy, even though he can catch. It's always on valves or you know some sort of swing pass or something like that, nothing where you're a, a, a huge threat. So Darius Guy's going to be the guy. So if, if, if Peterson rushes for 1,000 yards again, I think this offense would be in trouble only because it would mean that Geist got hurt again or he wasn't producing. So I would be surprised by that. Here's the other thing to watch with that situation. It wouldn't, you know, they just picked up Wendell Smallwood, a running back from the Eagles. Um, they have Chris Thompson, the third down back. Smallwood is a serviceable, back, serviceable backup, but he plays special teams. So I'm going to be really curious to see what they do with Peterson during games. Do they even do they keep him active? Do they go with four running backs active, or do they make Smallwood active or inactive? Um, but you know, I could see Smallwood being active if they feel like he's going to play on multiple special teams, and then it'll be really interesting to see what they would do with Peterson in that case because. Geis is going to be the guy. Yeah, considering how one-dimensional Adrian Peterson is, it's really surprising to me that a team still employs him at this point with everyone wanting to throw to uh, running backs. Last thing for you, John, um, give me a percentage chance that Washington ends up surprising everyone and maybe not even win the division, but somehow wins a wild card. Is that uh, within the realm of possibility in your mind after seeing training camp in preseason? I mean, in the NFL, anything's possible, right? If you stay healthy, then then you know, then anything can happen. I think 
the, the couple things that have to happen for that to be the case, um, Jordan Reed has to play 13 or 14 games. Trent Williams has to be back at some point. They're starting left tackle who's still holding out. He's got it. He has to return and relatively soon. And then you have to hope that one of the young receivers comes through. And then you have to hope that Keenan and McCoy can get you to that level. And then you have to hope that the defense plays as you think it should. And this, I think it's a really good defense. And it's a very good young defense that I think going forward will be good this year and for a couple of years. Um, but they're going to really have to carry the load and Geis really has to produce for them to sniff playoffs. And here's the other problem. This is the formula they were trying to use last year and it was working for like, they were six and three when Alex Smith got hurt. Um, and Alex Smith wasn't playing great, but the one thing he didn't do was make a lot of killer mistakes and turn it over. So he kept leaving the defense in good spots. And that was part of the reason why they were six and three. That's not Case Keenum's game. Case Keenum's going to be a little bit more aggressive. And that's going to result in some big plays sometimes. But as you know, it's also going to result in some plays where he holds the ball too long and he turns it over because of it. And I think they're well aware of that. So I'm not looking for that kind of a season, but it's the NFL you don't know. John, great stuff. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we'll talk to you again when these two teams match up, man. Thanks for your time. All right. Thanks, guys. That is great. That is uh, John Kime. He covers the Washington football squad for NFL Nation, ESPN. Um, so interesting stuff about Josh Doxson. And I think that our re- initial reaction, I know mine, you haven't been able to react to this yet on our show, but mine was the better of the two busts by kind of a lot. That's right? the guy they wanted. Yeah. I mean, like, if you think about it, Treadwell might have been, I mean, they got him at 23. Doxson went at 22. Anybody who wants to throw Michael Thomas in this argument, sit this one out because he just wasn't in the same realm in 2016. So it was kind of, I think, from my understanding, Treadwell 1A, Doxon 1B, and they got the guy that they, more people in the building wanted, but neither of them you could look at from their first three years of, of their time in the NFL and say, okay, yeah, this one was so much better than the other one. I think they both had their fair share of struggles. Um, Doxon seemed like, I mean, he had injury issues too. And he does seem like he kind of fit more of a role there in Washington, but the writing was on the wall when they drafted Terry McLaurin in the third round. And then they took the other guy in the sixth round, and they had an undrafted free agent. He was on borrowed time. Neither of these guys got their fifth-year option picked up, and by and large are going to be labeled busts for each of their individual franchises. I wonder, though... Who of the two are we going to be looking at a year or two for now, from now and saying a change of scenery was what this player needed? Because you never know um, until a year or two from now plays out. I don't really think you can project saying, okay, this guy was truly a bust because all these mitigating factors or this guy needed to get in a different offense. And maybe for someone like Josh Doxson, where he can actually fill a role and be a number three receiver, Maybe that's what that is. Like, I don't know about Laquan Treadwell. I really don't because they gave him every shot to be a role guy. They gave him every shot to not be the man and be a number one receiver. He was never going to be that in this offense, and he couldn't even do it as a number three receiver. So I don't know. There is nothing discernible about Laquan Treadwell's game that would make you say, oh, he's going to go to... Jacksonville mm-hmm. and light it up. I get that question right? a lot, thinking, okay, well, where where could he go and get a you know fresh start? You think about all right, any of the coordinators, maybe he's played for, maybe would I mean, I mean, if Shermer Carolina could have claimed him, yeah, if Shermer could have claimed him with the Giants, no, nobody right, did. No, right, North Turner would be mildly familiar with him. They, they Instead, all, they go get Brandon Zilstra. <laughs> they, they picked Brandon Zilstra over Laquan Treadwell, essentially. Yeah. And some of that has to do with how much money you'd have to pay sure. if you had claimed yes. Treadwell off waivers. I but, think that's what scares a lot of people away, just to be honest. But they literally picked, I mean, Brandon Zilstra, who has one NFL catch over Laquan Treadwell. There is no skill that he has that would make you go, ah, you never know about that guy. That was the big Cordero Patterson thing. When the Vikings let him go... I think you and I were probably on the same page saying, is it really a good idea to let him go? I mean, he, um, at least when he gets the ball in his hands, he can make plays and you can do things with him. And he's not going to be a superstar, but he, if he gets you a, a couple of long touchdowns a year, then you've got your money's worth of Cordero Patterson. 
Treadwell's longest catch was 25 yards the whole time mm-hmm. he was here. He dropped passes, so it wasn't like he had hands of steel and could be Anquan Bolden and box people out or something. At least he could at his size if he really used his size. Right, like, if he knew how. If he to. knew how to. Josh Doxson at least has done some stuff to indicate that he might be able to offer you 20 or 30 catches, a couple of big plays down the field, because he has done these things before. And so with that, I would say that it's a a huge upgrade as long as you can get Josh Doxson up to speed. And and that's like how low the standard is for the third (laughs) wide receiver at this point. In this offense, yeah. It makes me wonder. uh, Let's say they end up keeping the five and that they end up cutting a Brandon Dillon or... I don't know, maybe they cut Amir Abdullah. It's still kind of interesting that, I mean, they have really till Wednesday to make this thing official, so I'll be very curious to see where they pull from. But let's say they keep the five. So you're you're slotting Doxon in to be the third, and he'll be an outside receiver. I mean, he's played some in the slot, but you're going to start Thielen in the slot, digs outside, and you'll have this guy outside too. What do you do with BB then? Is he just your possession threat on third down, and, and is Johnson just as needed? I think what you're probably doing is not playing B.C. Johnson much at all. No, I don't think you need to. Um, and then with B.B. and Doxon, it's just situational. Sure. It's, okay, well, if um, you need third and six and you need B.B. to get open out of the slot, then that's what you use him for. And if it is first and ten, you want to run a play-action deep shot, then maybe you bring in Doxon to do that. If you want to try to throw a fade route in the end zone, maybe you've got him there from the five-yard line to try and go up and jump over somebody, if that's what he does best. This team does seem to, with Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak, have a good sense for what their players do well, Mm -hmm. and I, I would not accuse them, as I would have maybe of North Turner, I would not accuse them of being clueless to what people do well and just sticking to their system. So I think if there there is a chance that they use Doxon correctly and he gets a handful of catches, I wouldn't expect anything more. But with Treadwell last year, he hurt the offense. Yes. It legitimately injured your chances to win by being out there. Well, I'm not sure Doxon does that. Okay, that's fair. And I do think that you bring up haunting reminders from the Green Bay game in Week 2, the Saints game in Week 8, other examples of it, I'm sure, that we could dig through. But um, that's one thing that I kind of wondered. Like, do you really need out? Yes, depth is important because if Thielen and Diggs get hurt at same time, one at a time, whatever it is, you're in trouble. But they have guys you can get downfield and get open. Irv Smith is one of those guys. Tyler Conklin's one of those guys. Um, Kyle Rudolph can go across the middle of the field and, you know, be, be a threat that way. I don't think it'll be, you know, if I'm talking about like what a receiver do, does and receiver duties, I'm looking at the other two tight ends. But I don't think it's far-fetched. I think they could have gotten by with having just four. And maybe they will. Maybe they end up cutting from the receiver pool uh, when they need to get Josh Doxson officially onto the roster. I don't know. Um, I think that they had other options. That, that you could have rolled into week one with four like they were initially doing before they signed Doxson. Um, so that's that's interesting to me. I think it's just something to consider that there were other ways that this offense is going to function, given we know what the tight end is in a Gary Kubiak system. It's usually the number three receiver. So you could have gotten by with it, um, but maybe you're just concerned about putting that much on Irv Smith early on, that maybe you're concerned about Tyler Conklin and just like, okay, how big of a role do you want him to have? I don't know. It's a lot of, lot of, lot of factors like that. What they have at the moment is enough human beings who can play football little for somebody to emerge and do stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the simplest way I can put that, that maybe B.C. Johnson surprises us and is all of a sudden the wide receiver three for the rest of the season. I mean, when they started 2015, Adam Thielen was a special teamer, and Stephon Diggs was inactive for the first three games. And by week one of 2016, those two were the number one and two wide receivers. So things can change pretty quickly with this. And I think what they've done here is basically, I need a gambling thing. They've sort of thrown darts, or they've bought chips. Taking a gamble. Does anyone gamble here that can help me? Um, But the, the odds are with Smith... And even Mike Boone, I'll throw into this, where somebody will emerge. Be- becomes the player who actually helps that's, you. That's, that's what fine. they're banking on. That's fine. And I think that it was smart. Like, not, I'm not saying that you couldn't get by with four wide receivers. I think that puts you, if you need to break the glass on somebody immediately, is Dylan Mitchell ready to play if a Diggs or a Thielen got hurt? Probably, Probably not. not. Probably so not. it's not a bad 
situation that, hey, Josh Doxson was available. Um, we know it's a one-year deal, so they're probably not paying that much for him. He didn't have, I believe, the same type of guarantees. Um, or you'd, th- you know, you wonder what Minnesota's going to have to pay for him. I'll actually let's look that up during the commercial break. What his guarantees were left on his contract, because that's the reason that you know with Treadwell, that was the argument of why is he around this long? Well, he's got all this money left on his deal. You're going to give him every single chance. But if a guy like that's out there, you did a ton of homework. You didn't. You spent more time with Doxson and Treadwell. Uh, of any other wide receiver in a 2016 draft process, and you're going to take a shot on him. Let's take a quick break. When we return, uh, it looks like Ezekiel Elliott is getting closer and closer to a deal that is going to be ginormous. So let's discuss that when we return. Then Alex Boone joins in at 3 o'clock so we can uh, talk a little bit more about this Vikings offense. And then I think when we get to Wednesday, it's all in on Sunday's game. And then all the the offseason talk is sort of over, and let's dive into the game. But we'll continue that with Alex Boone coming up at 3 o'clock. We'll be right back here on Purple Daily. 2.48 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download and football season officially starts Thursday night. Packers, Bears, and that got the, the crew over at Good Morning Football this morning asking whether Aaron Rodgers should still be feared in the NFC North. And here's what they said. Truth is, until one of these quarterbacks beats him, yeah. he's the man. That's right? it. Trubisky, nice story, great kid. Went to a playoff game last year. Everyone said, oh, he played great that last drive. They scored <laughs> points, couldn't get the win. Uh, Cutler over the years, Stafford. I'm just going through it off the top of my head. Ponder, Bridgewater. Of None of them can knock him off. It's always been Rodgers, 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 Rodgers. So the Bears last year got that nod, and Trubisky and the Bears were the ones who won the division crown. But... Can they do it again this year? I think like one year is nothing. Case Keenum beat the Packers a couple of years ago. Like that doesn't matter. It's gone. Rodgers is the dude. Is Trubisky willing to be the guy? And is he able to be the guy? I don't know. Thoughts, Vikings fans? Should Aaron Rodgers still be feared in the NFC North? I think we know callers' thoughts on that based off a question he asked Washed. Alex Boone last week. Washed? Really? No, that goes back to a conversation we had about like the the boldest take that you can make defensible, and Aaron Rodgers is washed is a bold take that you can make defensible. All right, that's been your North Donald. Now continue the conversation. All right. The reason is because he hasn't been good really in the last few years, in a long time. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree with that. So Injuries, wa- washed other is harsh, circumstances. But I mean, even let's see if you go through, let's see, last eh, last three seasons. He looks more like a pretty good quarterback and not an unbelievable quarterback. I mean, he still doesn't throw picks, but he's only averaging 7.3 yards per attempt, which in his prime, he averaged 10.5 once in 2011. 7.3 yards per attempt is pretty average, and he doesn't throw interceptions because he throws the ball away and takes sacks. He took 49 sacks last year. That's a ton. That's not good. His uh, analysis. That's a good. I mean, you got a point. And it's not like they like helped his case at all like by putting anything around him this year. No, they really didn't. And you look more and more right about that point. I know that that has uh, oh, been my. A, July tweet. That's what you're referring point to. With you. Yes, that uh, <laughs> somebody who's a Packers fan didn't like that you said they have no real weapons outside of Devontae Adams. But Jay Sternberger was hurt in preseason, and Equinemius St. Brown Got is it. out for the year. Yeah, he's on IR. It's like. I mean, who do they have aside from Devontae Adams, Adams who's dangerous? Aaron Kumaro. Jones is pretty good. Kumaro but, is like supposed to be the rising star. Okay. I don't um, know. That goes under the, like, who? Kahumaro? Would you put Aaron Jones in, like, breakout category? Because this is, what, year four for him? He was real good last year, I think. He was. Right? And I think that, like, how much are they going to rely on the run? Like, how much are they going to have to just because they don't have anything else for Rodgers? So this is year three for him. In his first two years, he's averaged 5.5 yards a carry for both um, seasons, which is really good. But he's not a super big threat in the passing game. Maybe he will be more. I saw Matt LaFleur getting a little um, snarky with the media because they keep asking him if Aaron Rodgers can change the play at the line of scrimmage. But trust me, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers will gonna do whatever he wants. He and if you pull him off onto the sideline because he checks out of something that you did not want him to check out of, good luck. Yeah, good because luck that's going to look more intense than Kirk's Route Clinic uh, <laughs> with Adam Thielen. Fantasy football name, Kirk's Route Clinic. Don't it's steal perfect. it. I might use it. It's perfect if you're doing your fantasy draft and you need a name. Kirk's Route Clinic. Can I change my fantasy uh, name? I did it through yes. 
It's my first year playing through ESPN. I, I think once you pick it, Darn. You're, you're in. Because now no, it's not cool. It. It's not ESPN. cool anymore. Yeah. I have Antonio oh. Brown's foot problems. That's the name of my <laughs> fantasy team. But I named it like yeah. three weeks ago when that was a thing, right, and now what if I his just feet are fine. Yeah, I mean, just like it's not. It's yeah, a funny. Change anymore. it on then ESPN. What will you do? <laughs> I'll go find some other body part that was overexposed in the cryotherapy chamber. Okay, let's uh, ask about <laughs> Ezekiel Elliott then, real quick, so we don't have to go anywhere with that. That's fine. Um, Six years or five years, $90 million potentially for Ezekiel Elliott. It's been the number that's thrown out there. It's not official yet for what he's going to get. It looks to me like Dallas is going to fold in this thing, and they really shouldn't have. I mean, Pittsburgh last year played hardball with Le'Veon Bell, and then James Conner was basically the same as Le'Veon Bell had been. Offensive line, they're very good in Dallas. Your other running backs can probably help out and be fine there. They've got Amari Cooper now for Dak Prescott to throw to and more weapons for him. And he still doesn't have a new deal yet. And that's way more important than it is to sign Ezekiel Elliott. I think that Dallas is playing a very dangerous game here with a lot of great defensive players who they'll need to sign eventually, too. Sure. I think they're making a huge mistake if they do ultimately pay him some massive all-time running back contract, and they should have just said, hey, thanks for the memories, you're a great player, now go get overpaid by someone else. Well, I mean, is he in that category where of running backs, which is such a few, I would say it's just the top two from each draft class, if that, if you're looking at it from that perspective. Um because Melvin Gordon, I love what the Chargers are basically like, thanks, but no thanks, we will uh, reconvene at a later date. So he's kind of sitting there being like, all right, I'm either going to have to play or my contract's going to toll, which nobody wants. Um, but Elliot, just in the leverage that he has and being like, hey, you run this offense through me, even though they went and signed, what, Alfred Morris and a few other running backs to keep in camp and they could probably get by, they're tipping their hand here. And it's only going to probably help the case eventually of a Melvin Gordon, eventually, because it's not going to get done anytime soon. But I think you have to be of a certain caliber. I mean, they clearly think highly enough of the run game. Look at all the investments that they made in their offensive line. And earlier this morning, Lyle Collins, who is uh, nowhere near a franchise right tackle, just got signed through 2024. Like, He's of like the Tyron Smith, Travis Frederick, Zach Martin. He's nowhere near the top of the top or even the cream of the crop of that group. But he's still got a deal. So they clearly are putting an investment on run protection on the offensive line. And I think that now that we know Zeke is back in the country and the deal is, I guess, getting worked out soon, who knows how many more hoops they have to jump through, he's probably going to reset the market here. And I just wonder if they were going to ha- do this all along, why didn't they do it earlier? The way I would look at him and I agree with you if they were going to come to an agreement then why not but I I do think that players now including Antonio Brown are purposefully finding ways to not show up to training camp that that it's, they don't want to get hurt they don't want to get hurt right their futures are on the line and they can go get hurt in Paris by sitting in a cryotherapy <laughs> chamber and, without shoes and they're also I mean in really great shape sure. and they know football now and everything it's not like they have to work themselves into shape during preseason games or something like that and i saw an article somewhere 538 maybe about how starters are playing less and less and less and less in preseason uh, to the point where it's just totally senseless and means nothing um but with elliot when you look at what he's done over his first three years i would say if i were managing dallas i would say thank you and we appreciate it and you did a good and uh first round draft pick was a success Thanks, man, and have a great life. So you'd say they'd have to alter their offensive identity had they let him walk and said, okay, if he's going to end up sitting out the season, just be like, all right, well, we have Randall Cobb. We've got Amari Cooper. Yeah. Who else am I forgetting here? Yeah. I mean, they could have 100-catch receivers if, if Ezekiel Elliott is not in this offense. I, I think that it, over his career, Zeke, as good as he is, as talented as he is, has benefited so greatly from a terrific offensive line that mm-hmm. it's not that – Anyone could come up with 2,000 yards from scrimmage like he had last year. But what about three dudes? Could three dudes combine for 2,000 yards from scrimmage? I'll give you an example. Uh, Kirk Cousins' Washington offense in 2016 had no definitive running back, but they used three guys, and they came up with something like over 2,000 yards from, from scrimmage, including receiving. So let me pay those guys a million bucks a piece and not this guy $20 million because that's just crazy money to give to a position that is largely determined by how you're used on offense and 
um, just like how good your offensive line is. So I think he can make. I think he can make his offensive line, his offense percentage points better. But over his three years, four point seven yards per carry, it's good. It's not Bo Jackson or something. It, like, what are the other guys going to so do? Four point three? Are they paying him for his attributes in the passing game? If that's where it's all trending, anyways, I mean, are those the running backs that are going to get those big time salaries? Because yeah. if he resets the market be. here, you're looking at what's happening a few years from now um, with guys that are con- that's co- whose contracts are going to be coming due. And I'd really be looking closely to see about Mel Gordon. Not saying that either of them are in the same category as each other. I think that you put Ezekiel Elliott much further up that list. But what does this do for him? But you could, I mean, even from that perspective, you could probably get Melvin Gordon for way cheaper and get mostly the same production. Well, that's why I was shocked that the Texans didn't go get him. Yeah, and uh, 77 catches for Ezekiel Elliott last year at 7.4 yards a catch, not special. I mean... For a running back? 7.4 yards a catch, not super special. For a running back, I, I would... I'm not saying I would pay $20 million for it, but that's productive. That's more production than the Vikings got in their passing game from the running backs. It's okay. I mean, what... Uh, it's average. What it's middle Jarek of the pack. McKinnon have two years ago? I mean, I know Jarek's gone through some injuries, but what did he have yards per catch? He averaged 8.3 yards per catch in 2017. Jarek McKinnon caught 51 balls. Was, just, not just making, a guy. was not making the same contributions in the run game as Ezekiel Elliott. No, of course not. But that's my point is that you can combine a couple of dudes to get the same sort of production as one does and you don't have to pay them. So if Jarek McKinnon was averaging on a lot of screen passes and short throws more yards per catch than Elliott was last year, it kind of tells you that you're mostly a product of how they design you to get the ball. So, I mean, I see why they want to pay him because he's a big star and he's a first-round pick, but that would not be my choice. I think you signed up for it when you picked him fourth overall a few years ago. You knew what you were doing. Alex Boone joins us when we return. You are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.